0: Thank you, your hearts have been heard through your voices. It's tremendously encouraging to me this morning. Take our Bibles to Romans chapter 16 and let's read together Paul's final verses of his letter to the Romans. If you need a Bible to follow along, just please raise your hand or ushers will make sure to get you one this morning. Romans chapter 16 and verse 25, Romans 16 and verse 25, our author writes, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret, For long ages past, but now is manifested, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all nations, leading to obedient faith, to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be glory, be the glory forever. Amen goals are spiritual in nature. When the Lord gave Adam and Eve the dominion mandate, uh, subdue the earth, uh, that was a magnificent, magnanimous goal. And any time that we set goals, regardless of their purpose, I really believe that's just God's image in us determining to achieve. It's natural for us to set goals. There's Physical, spiritual, social, athletic, academic, familial, domestic, political, financial, you name it. It's natural in life to have our lives saturated with goals. There's a book that I've read in the past year. The title is just the word one, O-N-E. It's really just stories of various American entrepreneurs who had goals to make one thing great, and to risk all of their lives and resources Uh, to do it, it seemed at times. Their goal was to just focus on one thing in a very unique and specific way, and they had this passion to develop this one thing and potentially lose everything that they had (laughs) to see if this attention on this development of this one thing would even be productive. The author of the book, early in the book, says that uh, he was burdened as an entrepreneur in his lifetime uh, to follow through with a Russian proverb which says, if you try to chase two rabbits, you won't catch either one. So just chase one. (laughs) And that was his goal for for his company, and and we've seen some people do some amazing things by focusing on just one goal. Stephen Jobs did pretty well by trying to develop the world's best computer in his garage as a young man. Walt Disney did a pretty good job developing a mouse. And if you know anything about his history. In his entrepreneurial spirit, that's all he wanted to do: create a kingdom around a mouse. And he's been pretty successful. There was an English teacher, a history teacher, and a writer from the University of San Francisco years ago. They set out to produce the best roasted coffee bean and freshest cup of coffee in the world. And they thought that when they came up with this bean and this cup of hot cafe or or, or coffee, that they would give it a name. And they believed that the most powerful words in the English language start with the letters S-T. So, before they had come up with that understanding, they thought about calling their new coffee house Cargo House or Pequod, whatever that is. There's a small mining town in Northern California, I believe, called Starbo, and they thought, wow, that starts with ST and represents hardworking people, and maybe we'll call it Starbo. Then one remembered, the chief mate in the novel Moby Dick, was named Starbuck, and they thought, wow, we'll just name our new coffee shop that was set up on Pike's Place in Seattle, Washington, Starbuck's. And they focused on a bean, just one bean, making it great. And today, that company has over 338,000 employees globally. What's the believer's main goal in life? You can study entrepreneurship to the day you die, and you could find millions of people. Who give their whole lives to developing one thing, and that one thing is temporal in nature. It's temporal in nature. But when we're called to be children of God in Christ Jesus alone, what is our one goal in life? What are we to give our lives to in the pursuit? of that one particular goal. What the Apostle Paul does for us here in these final few verses of Romans 16 is he, he describes for us the goal, the unique and singular goal of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It has one goal. And that goal is this, to spiritually and positionally restore you in Jesus Christ back to your original spiritual condition and purpose in the eyes of your creator. Now let me simplify that. Some of you are familiar with the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And it states this unique goal this way. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You've memorized that in your lifetime, many of you have. Man's chief end. Man's main goal is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. How's this done? Paul's outlined for us in the whole book of Romans how this is done. You first must be restored to your Creator through Jesus Christ in salvation. That's chapters 1 through 11. And then chapters 12-16, through he tells you how to replicate his glory and his character in the way you live. That's quite simple, isn't it? Sin decimated man's relationship with God. Clear back in Genesis chapter 3. But in the same chapter, the Lord points out the way back to God. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, which is the first prophecy of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and his purpose to save men from their sin and and to pronounce his domination over the power and the effects of sin spiritually and practically and physically on us. Sin separated us from being able to glorify God, which was our chief end, and to enjoy God forever. So God put in place a person To reconcile us back to him. And that's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does Hebrews chapter 1 tell us? That Jesus Christ is the exact image of the glory of God. So if you want to be restored back to that proper relationship of being able to enjoy God and glorify God forever, you've got to know his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is his glory. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, a verse many of you memorized years ago. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Well, how do you do that? That's just living your life and enjoying God. The way we enjoy God now is by living His character. Of course, Romans chapter 12 to 16 tells us how we live that glory and how we enjoy God by living out His character in our lives. It's not my intention this morning to go back and review those chapters. Those are all recorded, and you can listen or watch those on our live stream uh, recordings. But think about chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, for those of you that have known the word well for a long time. How are we restored back to the glory of God? By knowing his son who is his glory. That's chapters 1 through 11. How do we enjoy Him forever? Both now and in eternity? By living out the character of our God in our own hearts in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in the way we think, the way we talk, the way we act. This is our goal. Our goal as believers is to know the glory of God, to know Him, and to enjoy Him forever everything that we do in life whether we set goals for our family our finances our education our jobs those are all good and necessary but even all of those goals their purposes are to underpin that ultimate goal to glorify god and to enjoy him forever Everything we do in Jesus Christ is to be done for eternal purposes of glorifying God in the way we think, speak, act, and live His character now that we know the Lord Jesus Christ. Theologians have called this passage of Scripture a doxology. A doxology. It comes from two different Greek terms. One means glory, and the other one just simply means word. It's a word of glory. Some would say it's a word of praise. Words of unique, specific praise. Other New Testament writers have written doxologies. We're not going to read those this morning, but I'll tell you who and where. Peter wrote one in 1 Peter 4, and verse 11. If you're taking notes this morning, and I find it a very interesting placement of his doxology within the writing of that letter. It comes right on the heels of describing to us that when we come to know Christ as our Lord and Savior, in a born-again experience, that we're given spiritual gifts. And those gifts are either speaking gifts or serving gifts. And we're to employ those gifts in strengthening and encouraging each other by the manifold grace of God they're given to us. So by that grace, we minister those gifts to each other unto an end. Unto an end that Peter writes there in 1 Peter 4.11. To the glory of God. The Apostle John writes one. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, the second part of that verse, and verse 6, Jude writes for us the longest doxology in New Testament recorded scripture. Many of you are familiar with that in Jude 25, verse 25 and verse 26, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, both now and forever. Those are three doxologies outside the book of Romans. But if you go back to Romans chapter 11 with me, we'll see another doxology within this book that we've studied for the last two years. And I find it interesting here that Paul writes two of the other five of the five doxologies right here in this letter. And he puts one at the end of the doctrinal part of this book. And he puts one at the end of the practical part of his letter. In Romans chapter 11 and verse 33 you remember studying this. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things To Him be what? The glory forever. What is man's chief end? You'll notice in each one of these doxologies, the word glory. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. What is the only way we can glorify God according to Paul? At the end of Doctrinal portion of this book, at the end of chapter 11, you've got to know his glory, who is his son. You must be born again. The gospel starts with God, the gospel ends with God, all through his own glory, the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we live our lives practically? Well, the gospel practically begins with God, ends with God, and it's lived through understanding His glory, the Lord Jesus Christ, not only positionally in our hearts, but practically in the way we live every day. That's why he concludes in chapter 16, as you turn back there with me, with this doxology. So when we're saved, all glory goes to God, amen? By His grace, we're able to live the Christian life, and all glory goes to God. All glory goes to God. Everything we do has this singular goal of bringing glory to God and enjoying Him forever. And the only way we can do that is by being born again. Right? Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. Paul writes in Titus 3. Ephesians 2. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. Faith is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should brag. John chapter 1, verse 12. The Lord's given us the authority to be called children of God in Jesus Christ, in Him alone. We must know His glory We must be given his righteousness in Jesus Christ so that when God looks at me and looks at you, he no longer sees himself, but he sees his own son. He no longer looks at you and your imperfection, but he sees the glorious perfection of his son in you. And that was gifted to you by his grace. And once you own his son, then he gives you the ability to live like his son. And in living like his son, there's great enjoyment of God, my friends. And someday, as Paul tells us in the book of Colossians, we'll enjoy that glory in physical person as well. As John tells us in 1 John 3, 1-3. But this doxology unfolds for us in some wonderful phrases here that are that are too magnificent to handle in one Sunday. And so we'll just begin with the first. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel. You'll notice in these several verses that there's really not one main verb. It's a run long, long run-on sentence with just really no main verb. It literally could be read like this, and I hope this doesn't confuse you, but I hope it simplifies it for you. Now to him, now to him, we'd really go down to verse 27 then, if it was a simplified doxology. Now to him, the only wise God through Jesus Christ would be glory forever. Amen. Amen. The Apostle Paul layers this simplified doxology with the content of how we were made to become glorifiers of God and how it came about not just for us personally, but for us collectively as a local church. Now, to him, the only wise God, be glory forever, you really go back up and add one phrase at a time. Who is able to establish you? According to my gospel, now to him be the glory and forever. Amen. According to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, now to him be the glory forever. But now it is manifested. Now to him. Be the glory forever. Amen. And by the prophets, the scriptures of the prophets, now to Him be the glory forever. Amen. According to the commandment of the eternal God, and and now to Him be the glory forever. This commandment has been made known. This gospel which was hidden before has been made known unto all nations. And now to Him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Because there are a people group now in Christ Jesus who are able to live obedient in their faith. Now to Him who is what? Able. The Gospel starts with God, it ends with God, and it's lived through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now to Him who is able... Now to him is simple. We read a couple other phrases from several other doxologies, and, and we all know that primary and first attention goes to him. We read that in Romans 11, to 36. And this gospel that begins with God and ends with God and is presented with us through the Lord Jesus Christ shows us that it's not we that are able to save ourselves and to walk in a way that pleases God, but it's him who is able to do that. And that's why he gets the glory forever, amen. He is able. If you're taking notes, write down these other phrases where I believe the same author of this doxology and the doxology at the end of the doctrinal portion of this book in Romans 11 states that God is able. He is able here to save. But Hebrews 7:25 says the same thing. He is able to save. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12 tells us that he who is he is able to save, he is able to keep. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 18 tells us that this God, this Savior who is able to save and to keep, is also able to guard us against temptation to sin. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 21 tells us that our God who is able to save, keep, and guard us from temptation is also able to, in the time to come, raise up our bodies from the dead. He's able He's able. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 teaches us that he is able to cause us by his grace to spiritually grow. Remember the wording of those verses? He who is able to do above and beyond all that we what? Ask or think within that context. That's the context of growing us individually and corporately. And a greater understanding of our faith and in spiritual maturity, God is able. Second Corinthians chapter nine and verse eight teaches us, by Paul's pen, that, that this God is able to show us grace upon grace in giving in giving. I love to read business periodicals. In the last flight I took, I was reading a particular article, and the article was discussing how for the, that, that, that American citizens, their savings accounts, in the most robust economy we've had for some time, are at their lowest levels. Okay. And their analysis was this, that the, the greater the economy grows, Americans just like to spend and even though they get more, they spend more, and they even dip into their savings accounts to the point where they're the lowest that they've been in some time. I thought that was interesting. The article was really about giving to philanthropy, and people, people really don't have much left to give to philanthropy. And the, the article closes just by stating that, that if people are going to give, and to give Kindly and to give generously. They've got to find something to give to that's bigger than themselves. Give to something bigger than yourself. God is able. God is able to make us. To give to something bigger than us. and Right here. in In our own service this morning. From one legacy to the Christmas offering. Are these things not bigger than we ourselves? Aren't they more eternally valuable than anything temporary? Certainly they are. God is able. If you want to underline the word able in each one of these phrases that I've given to you, including the phrase here, the first part of our doxology in Romans 16, now unto him who is able, this comes from a Greek root word which means power. There's several words for power in the New Testament. This particular word is where we get our English word dynamite. This is the divine power that God is able to offer us in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved and then continue to offer us to glorify Him and to enjoy Him forever. It's all in Him and nothing of ourselves. He is able to save. He is able to keep. He is able to guard. He is able to raise. He is able to grow. And He is able to give through us. Now unto Him who is able. And what's the next phrase say here? To establish you according to my gospel. Go back to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. It's very interesting to me when you compare the beginning of this book and the end of this book. The doxology itself rehearses four particular aspects that Paul mentions just in chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. So he's giving praise here. I have no doubt that he took the pen from his amanuensis and he picked it up himself and wrote this doxology. Just spontaneously under the governance of the Holy Spirit. It rehearses four particular elements we'll look at at another time in 16, 25 to 27, that are mentioned here in 1 1 to 5. But what does he say here in verse 11 at the beginning of this letter in chapter 1? For I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you might be, what? Established. Go back to chapter 16 in verse 25. Now unto him who is able to establish you. He's finishing like he began. He's finishing like he began. The word establish here is only used twice in these 16 chapters in this way. One in chapter 1 and one in chapter 16. It simply means to strengthen, to make someone more firm, More firm in doing what? More firm in understanding their position in Jesus Christ when they're born again, chapters one through 11, and more firm in their understanding of how to live his character in chapters 12 to 16. I want you to be strengthened in this gospel, and I want you to understand that you have no gospel unless you can live that gospel. You are saved by a God who is able. You're equipped to live by a God who is able. And I just want you to be reminded of that. And I want you to strengthen each other with that reality. The Christian life is a life of persevering by grace. And we all, daily, weekly, monthly, definitely annually, have quitting moments. Do you have one this week? It's amazing to find how little things can exhaust us so much and cause us just to want to quit. It's part of our human nature. Right? Our human nature is just a quitting nature. But Paul is saying here we pick back up and we don't quit because he's able. He's able. If He's able to save us, He's able to sustain us to live unto His glory. Paul says here, it's God that establishes us. But it's interesting to me in chapter 1, He wanted His spiritual gift to help establish them. So who is it? Is it God that establishes? Or is it Paul that establishes? And the answer is yes. But it's all by grace. It's God who equipped Paul with the ability to strengthen the saints. And it's God that equips us with the same ability to encourage and strengthen one another. Strengthened. To live our spiritual gifts towards one another in a community of faith. That's what chapter 12 tells us. You remember chapters 14 and 15. Those of us who are weak like me and those of you who are strong that were raised in non-religious environments were to receive one another. That's all the reality of strengthening each other. We've seen 26 different names in chapter 16. We've, we've detailed these names and, and what their purpose was as individuals or within these uh, collective group of churches, both in Rome and abroad, and, 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 and what are they involved doing by the grace of God, who is able. They're strengthening each other. They're participating in a local community of faith, persevering by the grace that saved them and the way they live and they're establishing one another through the God who has established them in Jesus Christ. Come to strengthen you. See, so you Pastor Tim, I'm weak. How do I get stronger? Please go back and just listen to chapters 12, 13, 14, and 15, and 16 but if you say that God has strengthened me in salvation and I am born again, then I will tell you that that same grace that saves you compels you to function within a local body of believers unto the strengthening of one another. In other words, Paul's saying here unto God that the God who saves us does compel us to be strengthened by him so that we can strengthen others. So if you're not involved in interdependent strengthening ministry in a local church. Okay, maybe seek out your own salvation with fear and trembling. No one on the bench. Right, this is not a game where there's any bench warmers. Okay? No one likes sitting on a bench if you're a competitor. You want to play. Right? Well, in this game, everyone's got a part, an intentional part to strengthen the body, and and it must be done. And there's got to be a, a no soul left behind. And Paul says that he's able to establish us according to my gospel. And all Paul is saying here by the phrase my gospel is it's not wasn't his alone. Certainly he's owning it personally, but this was a gospel that he had received by revelation from on high, and it's been inscripturated as to its content in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 3. This is God's gospel that God offered to him personally that he's owned, and he's he's extolling God, the God who is able, the God where salvation starts and the God where it ends, and he's restored us to being able to Glorify Him in Christ, and then to glorify Him by the way we live. And so now this has gone from God's gospel to Paul's gospel to our gospel, and this is just what we do with it. Everything about our lives is lived until this one unique goal. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And in Christ Jesus, you can do that. But you don't do that alone. We do that together as well. And after we're strengthened here, we'll find out in the next couple weeks what we do with that strength here. The strengthening here is for the purpose of going there. As we've already read, it's according to the commandment of the great God. And my friends, that commandment is the great commission commandment that we'll see here in the weeks ahead. Let's pray together.